The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. NFL tight end Benjamin Watson shares his hope for this nation, getting free from the fears and frustrations that divide us. When something like this happens, you either got to be on the side of the cops or you got to be on the side of the, of the, um, the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is, we, we get in our corners and point the fingers. And what I want to do is tell people, look, let's put truth in the middle and let's find what the truth is. Getting real about race in this honest and healing conversation next. It's a joy to be with you and to come into your home. Benjamin Watson is here now. I'm James Robinson. Betty and I welcome you to life today. This, this man is a gift from God for this moment. He's a football player, NFL player, won a Super Bowl ring. He's written a book called Under Our Skin, getting real about race and getting free from the fears and frustrations that divide us. Now listen to what Tony Dungy says. Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winner, great coach of the Colts and then uh, other, other teams too, and just a great man of God and great commentator now. Benjamin Watson is one of the most intelligent, thoughtful men I have ever met, inside or outside of football. I know you will benefit from his insights. Now, I want you to just listen. For so many people, the racial divide is an argument, a political position, a debate on TV. But keeping our distance isn't working. It's not an option anymore. This is about you and me. It's about our neighbors, our children, and our world. And change starts here. Would you welcome Benjamin Watson to life today? <laughs> Benjamin, good to see you. We did a program you can watch on Life Today Online. We did a program earlier where we were talking about fatherhood and about uh, he's got five kids and a beautiful <laughs> wife. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, they had a kid a year. It's pretty rapid <laughs> progress. But he, he knows that there's not a whole lot of help there. So that book's in the bookstores. This book, Under Our Skin, I guess it came out after you had made a, a bold statement about what had disturbed you. I'm actually going to read it later. So unless you've memorized all of it, I'm going to read it. I'm, I don't know if you went to the trouble of memorizing Have what not. you said. You Have just not. came off the top of your head. Yeah. You were bearing your heart. Yes. Uh, yes. And you said you were angry, and I'm going to, I'm going to read that. But... Yeah. And that led to the book. Yeah. Can you just kind of capsule for our viewers yeah. what you're concerned about? Well, I think you read it on the back of the book. You know, for so much of us, this whole uh, race debate is something that we get on TV and we yell at each other and we have our talking points and we speak from our point of view and we're not really looking for really any type of change of heart. We're not really looking for a solution. We kind of like the conflict. And that goes well, the media on, and that loves goes, the conflict. They, definitely do. they that, feed it. Exactly. And, and that goes on both sides. You know, sometimes conflict has become more comfortable than change. And as I'm sitting there watching Ferguson, like many uh, of you in, you know, watching on TV and all these other race, I guess, um, inciting incidents that have happened, whether it's been police officers, even here in Dallas, you know, tragedies that happen here in Dallas. I mean, these things keep happening at a rapid rate. Um, and I, like everybody else, has an emotional response to it. And when I saw Ferguson, it was at the end of a, of a three-year period where there were a lot of these um, deaths of, of black men that were on videos. You know, we see everything on video now. And I was angry because it seemed to me that 
the things that I had heard about from earlier in my life and in my parents' lives and talking to my grandparents about their parents keep happening over and over again. And then I was sympathetic because a lot of times your first reaction is not the one you need to listen to. You need to unpack it. So I said, let me unpack it a little bit. I talked about being sympathetic because I, I don't know really what happened in the situation. I wasn't there. You know, I'm jumping into this with my lenses on about being a black man in this country and knowing what that entails. So I'm approaching it from a certain perspective. And I talked about being hopeless and hopeful and a bunch of other emotions that we'll read. But eventually I ended up saying that I was encouraged because although we have an issue, things have, have gotten tremendously better over the course of time. But ultimately, we know the person who can change the heart of man and woman. The, 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 the law can't do it. The government can't do it. Laws change. I believe Billy Graham one time said, he mentioned uh, in one of his crusades talking about, you know, we can, we can change, the, you know, we can have the civil rights. We need all these things. We need voting rights. We need civil rights. We need all these things that are very, very crucially important when it comes to equality. But at the root of it, it is a sin issue that manifests itself in racism, in pride, in selfishness, in non-repentance, in the unwillingness to forgive. This is a root issue that is sin. And I'm encouraged because... On one hand, we know that one day <laughs> this will all be gone and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But I also understand that even while we live here, the power of the gospel is what makes the playing field even. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or how much money your parents had or how much education you had. The gospel is what puts people on a level playing field. And so my hope is that we grasp that, we're able to grasp that, and we're able to live from that. Um, but in the world we live in, there are really issues um, that we'll, sure we'll talk about that need to be dealt with. I've tried to impress upon our viewers the importance of Jesus' uh, prayer in John 17 about mm -hmm. supernatural unity, and I'm asking everybody to pray for that. Yeah. If it were not important and if it were not possible, Jesus would not have prayed it. And it certainly would, have been in, would not have been in the last prayer where we hear basically the sum total of what was on his heart. We hear glimpses in the garden glimpses from the cross, but in John 17, we hear the prayer of Jesus' heart. And he concludes with the importance of us being able to show the world what his disciples look like exactly. by pointing to a supernatural unity that is so supernatural, it's like the oneness that he has with the Father. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think we can have that supernatural unity among one another without first having it with the Father. Very and you and I will have no problem immediately knowing we're family. Yeah. We may be a different shade, mm -hmm. but we're one. Yes. We, we are a part of the ultimate family, the family yes. of God, as well as a human family. Yeah. I want to read what you wrote. Um, and he said, this is not like preparing for Monday night football, but he was playing and preparing for it. Uh, and he was watching what's happening in Ferguson and trying to figure it out while well, he's sitting, I think you said you're sitting in your car in a parking lot of a <laughs> yeah. shopping center. I'm sitting in Target parking lot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and here you, know, you go. Monday Night Football ends late. So you start right. And, and so Monday Night Football ends late. It was a day that, um, you know, the, the, the grand jury decided not to indict the officer. And so everything had been leading up since that August in 2014 about, you know, what was the decision going to be. So everybody had an idea of what was going on. We were all watching the news. And I played the Monday Night Football game, and we lost to the Ravens, which ironically I'm on that team now. Um, <laughs> and my wife tells me they made a decision in the Ferguson case. And so late that night into the wee hours of the morning, I was sitting there watching um, the and protest. And you I was said watching. this, and it yeah. went viral. Exactly. I mean, just I, unbelievable I said, I said in a short period of time. Yeah. Now listen to what he said. I'm angry. 
because the stories of injustice that have been passed down for generations seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I'm frustrated because pop culture, music, and movies glorify these types of police citizen altercations and promote an invincible attitude that continues to get young men killed in real life away from the safety of movie sets and music studios. I'm fearful because of the, in the back of my mind, I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I could still be looked upon as a threat to those who don't know me so I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. I'm embarrassed because of the looting, the violent protests, the law-breaking only confirm, and in my minds of many, and in the minds of many, validate the stereotypes and thus the inferior treatment. I'm sad because another young life was lost from his family, the racial divide has widened, a community is in shambles, accusations, insensitive, insensitivity, hurt, and hatred are boiling over, and we may never know the truth about what happened that day. I'm sympathetic because I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Darren Wilson acted within his rights and duty as an officer of the law and killed Michael Brown in self-defense like any of us would in the circumstances. Now he has to fear the backlash against him and his loved ones when he was only doing his job. What a horrible thing to endure. Or maybe he provoked Michael and ignited the series of events that led to his eventually murdering the young man to prove a point. I'm offended because of the insulting comments that I've seen that are not only insensitive but dismissive to the painful experiences of others. I'm confused because I don't know why it's so hard to obey a policeman. You will not win. And I don't know why some policemen abuse their power. Power is a responsibility, not a weapon to brandish and lord over a populace. I am introspective because sometimes I want to take our side without looking at the facts in situations like this. These. Sometimes I feel like it's us against them. Sometimes I'm just as prejudiced as people I point fingers at, and that's not right. How can I look at white skin and make assumptions but not want assumptions made about me? That's not right. I'm hopeless because I've lived long enough to expect things like this to continue to happen. I'm not surprised, and at some point my little children are going to inherit the weight of being a minority and all that it entails. I'm hopeful because I know that while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and grandparents. I see it in my personal relationships with my teammates, my friends, and my mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, but it's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we're racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own sin. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that is capable of looking past the outward and seeing what is truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamar Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So I'm finally encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Would you just say thank God and thank you, Benjamin. Now that was a message and you had no idea while you were just bearing your heart and writing these things down that it would actually become a gospel message proclaimed around the world. That shocked you, didn't it? It did. It did. And, and you know, I wrote it on my iPhone notes app. <laughs> 
sitting in a parking lot, didn't know how to post to Facebook, had to send it to somebody else to post to my Facebook page because they do that. I don't know how to do it. I know how to do I'm it the now. Same way. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it, it's the Holy Spirit. And I think that whatever the situation is, you know, this is just, this is race, obviously. This is something that, you know, since 1619, when the first Africans got here, this has been part of our history, right? But whatever the topic is, whether it's race, whether it's abortion, whether it's you name it, immigration, whether it's sexuality, uh, violence, whatever, whatever it is that we're dealing with, we have to look at everything with a biblical worldview. Absolutely. We have to filter everything through the word. As believers, we attack this issue differently. It doesn't mean we, we, we negate the reality of things that happen. We address those things from a social justice standpoint, from a governmental standpoint. But we're seeing things through gospel eyes, not through human eyes. And so there's a different power there. And so, you know, it turns into a gospel message because I believe that no matter what we do, no matter what our profession is, whatever we're talking about, um, the, the gospel has huge ramifications for whatever the situation may be. If somebody read that book, what do you think they'd take away from it? Well, they take away the importance of, of uh, both and, both and. We live in a time where you have to be either or. You're Democrat or Republican. You're red or blue, you're not purple. You are either on the left or the right, conservative, liberal. When something like this happens, you either got to be on the side of the cops or you got to be on the side of the, of the, um, the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is, we, we get in our corners and point the fingers. And what I want to do is tell people, look, let's put truth in the middle and let's find what the truth is. And let's, and let's bow down to that. Mm. Not to our group think, whatever that is, not because our grandma told us this or because our best friend feels this way, so I got to feel like they do, and if I step out of that thing, they're going to disown me. No, let's have an allegiance to what's right and what's true, and let's meet there, not just staying in our corners. Also, um, I talk a little bit about something I call uh, the living room racist, and I want people to identify racism and prejudice in their own heart. I want people to come face-to-face -face with it. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, a lot of times we have, you know, we have friends of, of different backgrounds and we think that that means something. It may mean something, but where's your heart on this issue? And once you've identified whatever it may be that you're struggling with, be willing to repent of it. There are times in the book where you're going to want to throw the book at me. That's great. There are times in the book people have told me that they want to stand up and give me a standing ovation. And a lot of times that depends on people's backgrounds, what parts they want to stand up on and what parts they don't. But I want to bring people to a place where they realize their own um, faults in this whole racial spectrum. And then finally for them to see what they can do better. Are there intentional relationships that they need to make with somebody that's not like them so that they can have an honest conversation about it and they can ask questions without being labeled mm -hmm. because they have a relationship with that person that's not like them and there's a certain amount of trust there? Um, that's just a couple things. <laughs> well, I, th I think from listening to you too, I come away with every life is important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it, we should look at people not uh, because of their color yeah. or what they do or in, their life. Yeah. God created them. Yeah. We've all been created in His image. Yeah. And what does God want me as a Christian? Yeah. How, how does God want me to feel about that? Well, the only way I can know is to go to His Word yeah. and to spend time and fellowship with yeah. Him and know. And God will, God will answer us. Yeah. And, that's, and that's so true. You know, we, we shouldn't look at people that way as far as a inferiority, superiority. Mm, no. 
But we do look at people as different shades because mm -hmm. that's how God created he, them. He made us that. And there's beauty in that. And, 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 and you know, I, one thing I try to do in the book is be brutally honest. And so, again, some people applaud areas, some people don't applaud areas. I try to be honest about t my prejudice about certain things. I'm, I'm honest about the fact that, you know, when I was a, a, a kid, I saw a woman not want to give my father change in his hand because his hand was the color of mine. So she slid it across the table. Mm -hmm. um, I try to be honest about, you know, because you go to school or because you're, you're educated, you talk a certain way, it must be white. But what does that really mean? What mm -hmm. that really means is that our identity, what we think is good, is always associated with whiteness. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue of it in and of itself. Terrible. But it's an issue that needs to be acknowledged and addressed and validated, you know, by white culture. Mm -hmm. That, you know, over the course of our experience here, the, the benchmark has been here. So it, it, makes, it makes sense why you feel that way about yourself. Sure. And then I challenge black people that even though you feel that way, I'm not going to tell my kids to succumb to whatever the, the, the standard is for them because of the color of their skin. Absolutely. I'm going to tell them to achieve whatever they want to. Sure. And so, and all know, things are possible with God. Yeah, and so, and so, and so we all have, have a hand in this. And, and my overarching goal is, is just for people to see um, where they can be better mm -hmm. and where they have had missteps yeah. that maybe they didn't even know they had mm -hmm. until they really were willing to be dead dog honest about how they feel about other people. Well, you know, you said you're hopeful, I am too. Don't you yes, think sir. he gives us good reason yes, to hope for the wonderful communication? And this book is fabulous. And it is in the bookstores under our skin. I think it's a great message for our day. You know, one of the things that I'm so grateful for about our viewers, Benjamin, is they don't even seem to notice what color somebody is. They see a need and say, let's meet it. And they see love as the answer to all the challenges we face. God is love. Some total of who he is, he's love. And, and if we are full of his love, then we're going to express it like a river. And that river brings forth life. You know that every time you watch life today, we're going to give you an opportunity. And let me just say this to you. You're a very, in my opinion, wise and spiritually sensitive person when you don't just automatically change channels because you've heard the devotion and inspiration. Now comes action, you may say. James is going to ask us to help somebody. Well, God asks us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if someone's in trouble, we would want to help them like we would want to be helped ourselves if we were in a crisis. So we give you that glorious opportunity. And Betty, our viewers tell us that there's nothing they enjoy doing more. And we can say the same thing. Being a blessing right. is a blessing. I want you to look here and see someone who was a miraculous blessing, and we can be also. Watch closely. War and conflict are predominant in the short history of the world's newest country, South Sudan. Villages are routinely attacked. Innocent families flee for their lives as their meager homes are burned to the ground. Those lucky enough to survive the ambushes have nothing but the clothes on their backs as they wander in search of safety. Parents are desperate to find food sources for their children and often go without so their children can go to bed with a little food in their stomachs. As the years pass, surviving family members band together 
and do whatever they can to survive. In 2015, the Life Outreach Mission partners working in South Sudan met one such family. Leek, along with his father, grandmother, and older sister Nayagut, were living under this tree. The family's main source of food was the wild fruit growing in the tree. As the fruit from the lower branches was depleted, Nayagut began climbing the tree, higher and higher as needed. She bravely and sacrificially tried her best to provide for Leek and her family. Recently, the missionaries returned to that tree and sought out Leek, Nayagut, and the rest of their family. Although they now had a simple hut to sleep in, heartbreak and tragedy still plague this family. Nayagut had passed away a couple of months prior, most likely as the result of malnutrition. Leek says he misses his sister, and the mission team was heartbroken by the pain and hopelessness evident in his eyes. As famine and starvation sweep across South Sudan, families such as these fear for their future. The grip of this crisis is tightest on the children. Leek and many other children just like him need food, and they need it now. Boy, if that little sister, big sister, could climb that tree day after day to try to get the fruit higher and higher, after they had eaten that which they could reach. And then she's the one who did so much trying to help the others is the one who's gone. The one who helped. And now, Betty, we have a chance to not only take her place, but to feed many families like hers. The missionaries have 400,000 already located that we can feed that are in place that have the same needs you saw there. And we can be like that precious sister that you might say in a way gave her life trying to help her family. And I'm sure each one family member has done all that they know to do, James, to, to find some kind of little morsel to put into their bodies to feed, especially the, the little ones that would likely be the ones to pass away first because their little bodies haven't developed and become strong like they could be. And I just, ask you to join with us again. I know we ask you many times, but we don't get tired of asking, and I don't believe you get tired of us asking. So please join with us again, and let's get food to these so desperate families that are just, they don't know what to do. They love their children too, as we love ours. And so let's join together and make the difference and reach out. We can do it, we've done it before. Well, you know, when you think about the effort that that, uh, precious girl went to, and, and the missionaries and relief workers, could we not go online or go to the phone and make a call and a gift that could save many lives and put in the hands of those beautiful little malnourished children and their families that which would give them life in the future while they overcome all the challenges they face? Would you do it? Would you just reach out even reach up to God and say, God, show me what to do. Let me be the blessing they long for. Let me meet their need. Would you do that? This is the last week of this emphasis on mission feeding where we take a period of time. We try to lay, uh, raise the resources to take care of people for many months. And we're asking you to do that right now. $100, we can feed 10 children for the next several months. 
$1,000, we can feed 100. And during this last week, because the crisis is so great, the need so severe, I'm praying many of you will, will give $1,000 or more. $100, we can feed 10, 50, we can feed five, 30, we can feed three. And don't think that that's too small for those three children, it's life. Would you right now go online or would you dial the phone number and take your bank card and just make the gift God put on your heart. This is the last week now for this emphasis and we need to hear from everyone. Some of you have already given even in this emphasis, but I'm telling you, we've not reached the goal and together we can and I believe we must and I believe we will. Thank you right now for making the gift God put on your heart. Remember, this is the last week and it's really, really important that we hear from you, important to so many who have such a critical need. We can meet that need and we can do it together. In impoverished and even now famine-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great and without food, they face death by starvation. Life's Mission Feeding Program is ready. With your support, we're able to feed and care for children in famine areas of Sudan, as well as Angola and Mozambique. With all of our previous reserves gone and Mission Feeding facing the worst drought and food shortage in years, we urgently need to replenish our food supplies to reach 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider a special gift of $1,400 to help sponsor a school and help feed 140 children for three full months. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you my Daily Word devotional. This box set of four seasonal devotionals will help you read, reflect, and renew yourself through God's Word with space to journal your thoughts and reflect each day. With your gift of $100 or more, you'll also receive Carrie Job's newest music project, The Garden, along with the Story Behind the Garden companion DVD. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more, be sure to request Determined Eagle, our 2017 commemorative bronze sculpture. This is the last week. Please call, write, or go online today and make your gift of life to help feed and care for hungry children. Well, I want to say thank you with Betty to you in behalf of all the precious families you've touched with love. Thank you for taking that uh, big sister's place. She was absolutely beautiful going up there for her family. And then we had to look at her grave. But I believe we're going to live with that kind of love carrying us and helping others. We're sending you to say thank you, the uh, seasonal devotional book. But if you'd like to have... Uh, Benjamin Watson's book, Under Our Skin. I think this is a word for the day as he's a gift for the day. So you simply touch someone with love, help us provide feed for those precious ones that so desperately need our help. And you'd like to have this book, just ask for it. It is in the bookstores, you can get it online. Uh, but if you'd like us to send it to you, we will. Join Betty and me in saying thanks to this truly great and gifted man. Benjamin, thank you, my friend. I pray that you uh, have a great season. And maybe in the later years of your career, you'll end up with a Dallas Cowboy. My aunt, my aunt will be a lady. Your aunt will be a lady. She loves it. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you for helping us share a life with people who desperately need our love.
Next week, former news anchor on BET's lead story, Cheryl Martin, describes her struggle with pride after a devastating divorce. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.